everybody good morning good morning good morning glad you're here with us to worship this morning and and certainly we're honored to have the presence of the lord with us aren't you glad that god shows up at church too yes. if he didn't show up at church too you know there'd be no reason for us to show up at church because his presence actually makes a difference so uh, good morning everybody and as those are, those who are coming in just as they're filling up just ask the lord to uh, use this time for us as the the body of christ a part of the body of Christ to really understand some things that he wants us to know. How many of you know that God has a word for us and he has a word to challenge us? He has a word that shapes our lives and that this morning we want to open up our hearts to the word of God. Amen. Amen. Uh, would, would you stand with me? I know you were standing for worship and you greeted one another. And uh, I just want to just pray and begin our time just to ask the Lord's presence over what he will say to us today. So let's bow our heads if we could do that at the moment. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful opportunity to come to worship with you and to be in your presence. So, Lord, we just honor, Lord, the fact, Lord, that you gave us life. Thank you for the breath that we breathe. It is yours. And, Father, you said, let everything that have breath, we have to give you praise. If nothing else, Lord, we can just praise you because we're breathing. And so, Lord, we just give you, Lord, a highest hallelujah of praise this morning. We thank you, God, for you, our life to us, that you gave us, Lord, life, health, strength, provision, grace, purpose, salvation. Lord, all of it, Lord, we couldn't do on our own, but, Father, you gave it to us. You blessed us. And so, Lord, it's only fitting that we praise you. So, Lord, at this time, as we Come, Lord, we come to be fed by you, Lord. We're asking, Lord, that you would nurture our spirits, our hearts. Speak where we are. Father, we thank you, Lord, that as we hear your word, may we respond to your voice. Because as your disciples, you said, my sheep hear and know my voice. And so, Lord, thank you for using me. Thank you for giving me clarity of thought in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Let's, let's remain standing. We're going to just uh, get to the word. And while we're going to the scripture of Joshua chapter 5, verses 1 to 12, uh, if you have a child between the ages of 2 and 10, please allow them to go to children's church. And while, while they're going to children's church, we'll be reading from Joshua chapter 5, verse 1 to 12. If you don't have a Bible, we should have it on the screen for you so that you can actually look and read along with us. Amen. I want to speak to you on the subject, why the men are stopped. Why the men are stopped. This passage of scripture is very important for us to see today. Joshua chapter 5, starting at verse 1. It's now, it says, now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Let me just point this out. The Israelites were not a people to be feared because they were just slaves. They were, they, they had, there was nothing about them to be feared. However, when God got involved, you don't, you don't hear what I'm saying? It says that we're nothing until God gets involved. There's a lot to deal with when God gets involved. And God got involved in bringing them into the promised land. And the scripture says that the people and the Amorite kings of the west of Jordan, the Canaanite kings and all those inhabitants feared the Israelites. Verse 2, at the time the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. And so Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath, Haraloth. Now this is why he did so. All who came out of Egypt and all the men of military age died in the wilderness on their way leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. And the Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men were of, were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. 
For the Lord had sworn to them they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so he raised up their sons in their place. And these were the ones Joshua circumcised. And they were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained there in the camp until they were healed. And then, Joshua, then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the place has been called Gilgal to this day. And on the evening of the 14th day of the month, while the camp at, while the camp at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread, and roasted again. Verse 12, the manna stopped the day after, and they ate this food from the land. And there was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Why the manna stopped? God bless you. Maybe may be seated. The, the passage of scripture has, has a lot to deal with, with regards to preparation, preparation for actually entering into the promises of God. So Joshua is a book of conquest. It is a book where we're finding that Joshua is trying to take the Israelites into the promised land that God had sworn all the way back to the time of Abraham. And so these promises are not just made on the fly. These are promises that were made from generation to generation. There's something to be said that God is a promise keeper. How many know that God is a promise keeper? He is. He's a one who understands, and when he makes a promise... He also takes an oath on himself to keep that promise. But sometimes, as we look at these stories, we can see how human beings that we are, we don't always believe the promise, and certainly we don't always enter into the promise. And the the, the scripture serves as a way of warning for us who are those who follow Jesus, that Jesus... He's the one. He is the the promise, the Messiah. And he said, if you enter into him, you'll find pasture. But there's some that will not enter into find pasture because they just won't believe. There are prayers that you'll never get if you don't believe, if you don't have faith, if you don't trust God, if you don't follow God. Every disciple has a decision to make whether they're going to follow the master Or are they going to turn away from the master in in times of their own desires or in times where they don't understand or in times when they get offended, are they going to turn away from him? And so today, as we're looking at this text, the Israelites have now crossed over the Jordan River. And the Jordan River crossing was actually a miracle. There's no way they could have done that on their own. How many know there are things that God will do in your life that it's certainly you know that you're not that smart. You're not that gifted. You don't ain't got that much money. But yet God opens a door and you say, you know what? That's just got to be God. Do I got a witness in the building? Do I got a witness in the building? There, there are some things, you, you know, I have to look on my life and say, that was God. There is no way that could have happened without the intervention and grace of God. And so we all understand this, that God is still at work. He's, he's, not, he's not simply a God of the Old Testament way back when, but he's still working in us today. He's still opening doors today. He's still delivering today. He's still setting people free today. He's still saving people. He's still uh, opening up avenues of opportunity today. He's still answering prayers today. So if you got a prayer that's not answered yet, keep on praying because soon the answer is going to come. So actually, they are now in a place where they're ready to go into a place where it's called Jericho. The Jericho is the first place where they're going to actually enter in. But before they enter into Jericho, something happens. 
And you would think that the Lord would say, all right, it's time to take Jericho on. Because the enemies heard about what God had done and they were in fear. And you would think that when the enemy is afraid, that's when you should strike. But the Lord said, Joshua, no, there's some things that I want to do. And they're not necessarily ready for this kind of battle. How many know that God knows when you're ready to take on a challenge? Aren't you glad that God knows when you're ready to take on a challenge? Um, He knows when we're ready to take on another step. And we're ready to take on another mountain. And we're ready to take on and achieve something. He knows when we're ready. Sometimes we don't think we know or we think we know. But sometimes we don't really know when we're truly ready. And I'm glad God protects us from that. So I I thank God that he protects me because I always do not know when to pursue things and when not to. And so God says to Joshua, no, we, we have to do some things to prepare the people of the children of Israel to actually enter into this place called Jericho. So he does three things that I want to just just share on three considerations that you have to think about before you take on a new challenge. Three considerations. It's about preparation. Do you know that preparation, uh, it can be everything to winning a battle? Yes. I'm so glad for Andy Reid. So like, who's Andy Reid? Go Chiefs. Go Chiefs. I know you're all Patriots fans. I got it. I got it. Some of you are. But Andy Reid had 27 seasons, I believe it was, at least 21. He has the most wins of any coach, but he never won a Super Bowl. He, he always came very close, so close to winning, but never won. And he finally won his first Super Bowl. And they won a Super Bowl for Kansas City after 50 years. Do you know they're celebrating after 50 years? See, after you won a while, you kind of like it kind of gets kind of boring. Do, do, do you hear what I'm saying? So, so, the Patriots won again. They won again. Can't someone else win? Can't someone else win? Yeah, but when you have won a championship after 50 years, 50 years. You've come close, but never actually won. And when you win, you know, wow, this is, this is outstanding. But I, I, I know this for a fact. They didn't win without preparation. And you're never going to win a battle without some kind of preparation. A fighter never goes into the ring without preparing. Because you know why? Because of their, their need to prepare, they need to understand, look, If I'm going to win, I need to do all I can before the fight happens. Because if you're not prepared, it's going to show up in the fight. It's going to show up in the fight. So here are three things that I want you to keep in mind. Number one, in order to prepare the children of Israel to come into Jericho, the Lord has to prepare their hearts. You have to learn about what it means to prepare your heart. So, so he says we're going to prepare the hearts of the people through a process called circumcision. Now, literally, brothers, you understand, if nobody don't understand, that circumcision can be very painful, especially if you're an adult. Generally, circumcision happens when a child is born, a male child is born. It usually happens during the time of birth, and in the Old Testament, it would happen when they were on the eighth day. The eighth day is number eight, means new beginnings. It was a mark on them of covenant with God. So if you read Genesis chapter 17, you'll find that God said, because Abraham, you're in covenant with me, I want you to circumcise your entire house. And I don't want want you just to circumcise those who related to you by blood. Even the stranger in your house has to be circumcised. Could you imagine visiting Abraham's house, brothers? (laughs) 
Could you imagine saying, you know, I'm just going to hang out and have a play date. And all of a sudden, Abraham comes out with a knife. And he says, all right, boys, let's get in line. We're going to do a little circumcision right now. You'll say, wrong day to visit, time to go. But the Lord said, we're going to circumcise. We're going to, we're going to circumcise. And circumcision was about the covenant that they would make with God. Covenant is really about the agreement that they would make with God. Covenant is really about the understanding that they have agreed to obey God, the agreed to relationship with God, the agreement to say, Lord, we, we, we are not just any people, we're your people. We're your people. Do you know that we are the people of the Lord? We are God's people. Now, circumcision in the Old Testament was an Old Testament way of covenant with God, but it was of the flesh. In the New Testament, circumcision is of the heart. That God begins to circumcise or cut away the flesh of our hearts. He deals with the carnality of our hearts. He deals with the fleshly attitudes that I have. I know you don't have them, but I do. I mean, the fleshly attitudes that get impatient when people take too long. The fleshly attitude that, you know, someone cuts you off and you want to just give them something. You don't want to give them a hallelujah, glory to God. You want to lift up your hand and give them something. It's a part of us that is the fleshly part of our attitudes, the old person, as it were. And circumcision is about having a prepared heart for where God is taking you. You know, it's one thing to prepare your luggage, but did you prepare your heart? It's one thing to kind of sweep your house out, but did you prepare? Did you prepare your heart for worship today, or did you just prepare your body? Did you just get a shower, clean up nice, turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, you're looking real good this morning. You're looking real good. You're looking real good this morning. Did you, you know, you combed your hair, and, and you took all that preparation time, and you got yourself ready. But did you take any time to prepare your heart? Did you take any time to say, Lord, I bless your name, and, and Lord, I honor you, and, and Lord, I'm going into your house because it is the day of the, of the Lord. It's the Lord's day. It is the day when I come to worship with my brothers and sisters, and I come to hear a word from you. I come to surrender my life to you. Whatever you would say this morning, God, I come with open heart and open hand. Or did you just prepare your body and rush into church and... And on the way, you argued with the children and said, get ready. I, don't you know I'm late? I, I, I got to get there. I, I got to get there. Do you know what? Do you know what? There's a time when we certainly have to take that time to prepare ourselves physically, but we need to take time to prepare our hearts. Did you take the time to prepare your heart? Sometimes, admittedly, I don't take enough time to prepare my heart. Sometimes I'm rushing. Sometimes I am so engulfed with what is going to happen at church, I forget that I'm a person of the Lord who needs to prepare his heart. Sometimes I forget because there's a whole lot of things I got on my mind. Lord, what am I going to say? Lord, 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 you know, who's going to be there? And Lord said, don't, you know, you, you need to prepare your heart. Because not preparing your heart hinders you from going to the very purpose and plans and promises that I have for you. This circumcision was necessary. Because in Deuteronomy... Chapter 10, verse 16. The Lord began to talk to Israel through Moses. And he says to them, you know, it's important to circumcise your heart. And the verse says that you no longer be stiff-necked. How many of you ever had a stiff neck? Raise your hand. You ever had a stiff neck is so painful? 
Oh my goodness, it's a pain in the neck. It's just, it's a pain in the neck. You just, it's, it's, it's like stress that comes all the way. And, and I, the thing about having a stiff neck, it seems like my whole body is affected. Everything about me is affected when my neck is stiff. This word stiff neck intrigued me because I had to look in, look in a little deeper. Why does the scripture attach circumcision to being stiff-necked? Well, simply this way. Being stiff-necked simply means this. When, when a farmer would actually plow a, some land, they would actually um, have two oxes. The oxes were yoked together. Yoke around their neck. You probably see it in pictures when they actually did farming. And when they did farming, the, the plowman actually would use an ox gold, a, an instrument to prod the, the ox in a direction so that the actual plowing or the actual plowing with a direction would go straight. But at times, there, was, there would be an ox who would shake off direction. And if the ox shook off direction and decided to go right or decided to go left, they would call the ox a stiff-necked ox. Because the ox would not allow the plowman to lead them. Oh, you don't hear what I'm saying. That no matter how much they would prod and how much they would direct through the ox gold and how often they would pull on the reins, the ox just had their mind set on going in a different direction. So much so, it would pull the ox that was going in the right direction off its direction. Why, why is this circumcision of their heart so important? Because without the circumcision of heart, you become a person who's hard to lead. Do you know why they missed the promised land? If you read the history of Israel, the reason why they left, they, they didn't make the promise. It's not because they didn't see miracles. They saw Red Sea open up. They saw God rain down quail. God rain down manna. They, they, they saw God do an extraordinary thing by drowning Pharaoh in the Red Sea. So it's not miracles. They refused to be led. Do you know one of the signs of a mature believer is they become easier for God to lead them? I saw how that went down. (laughs) You know why churches are so much in a mess? Because people are very hard to lead. Bishop, you mean people are hard to? Yes, I do. They're hard to lead. Moses had so much trouble leading the children of Israel. He's the deliverer. There were times that he had so much difficulty as a shepherd trying to lead the children of Israel out of bondage. They wanted to get out, but they wouldn't take his lead on how to get out. They didn't know how to get out. You would think they would follow the leader, but no. They got out there and said, you know what? I think we need to have a different kind of worship. Why don't we make a golden calf? We're going to worship that. And they complained and they murmured and they, in fact, even Moses' sister said, you know what? We hear from God too. I think we need to lead. In fact, he all the way up in that mountain. When you become hard to lead, it's a, it's, a, it's a matter by which you have to understand that circumcision has to be done. Because God's people are sheep. Did you, do, you, do you know what a sheep is? A sheep doesn't know where to go. Now, I know you graduated from whatever school. 
and I'm not going to pick on any school, whatever school, and we think that we're really smart. In fact, intellectualism covers this area. We think we're smart, and we are to some degree, but you're not smarter than God. You are not smarter than God. I know I am not smarter than God, and it took a little while for me to get there. Listen to me. I always thought I had some smarts and I could do it myself until God would say, your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. As higher as the heavens are to the earth, so are my thoughts and my ways higher than yours. So how in the world could you think you're just as smart as I am? It's so funny, parents, how your children, when they turn 13, they think they know more than you. And you humor them and say, you know, that's, that's wonderful. And you know that they are nowhere near as smart as you. But they have the idea, you really don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. And you're saying, not only do I know what you're talking about, I used to talk about it. It's, we're strange. And the Bible says that we are the Lord's people, but we are the sheep of his pasture. And as a, as a sheep, I'm a sheep too. I'm a sheep too. I have to learn how to be led by God and allow him to take the reins of my life and say, Lord, I don't know where to go without you. I don't have any direction without you. God, unless you lead me, where will I go? And you only can do that when you have a circumcised heart. To prepare your heart in 2020, let God lead you. Stop trying to control God. Stop trying to tell him what to do. God, if you real, you need to go over there. God said, wait a minute now. Wait a minute. Why are you sending me somewhere? I'm not your butler. I'm God. And beside me, there's no other God. They needed to learn how to not be stiff-necked to, to follow God's lead. Why does the children of Israel have to know that? Because it's critical that when they get to Jericho, they don't mess up. <laughs> if you don't follow God's lead, somewhere you're going to mess up. Oh, you don't hear what, hear what I'm talking about. There are certain things that God had told me that I didn't do, and I messed it up really bad. Do I got a witness in the building? But, Lord, I don't see why. You don't need to see why. Just follow my lead. There's a, there's a verse in the Bible that scared me. Have you ever had to read a verse in the Bible that go, ooh, that scares you? Um, Proverbs 29, verse 1. Is a scary verse. It says, in the New International Version, it says, whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 1. It says in another version, it says, for people who hate discipline and only get more stubborn, There'll come a day when life tumbles in and they break. But by then, it'll be too late to help them. A stubborn person will come to a time when you can't help them. Why couldn't God get them, the first generation, from Egypt into the promised land? Because they were so stubborn and they came to a point where he couldn't help. That's a scary verse. It taught me something about pastoring. There's certain times when people were stubborn, you just got to leave them alone. Did, 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 did you ever have, have anybody in your life like that? Have anybody around you? You just got to say, you know, I, I'm done talking. I'm finished talking now. I, I've been talking long enough. I've been praying long enough. You just want to be stubborn. Then you know what? 
Let the chips fall where they may. And you know what? God will let the chips fall where they may if you're going to be stubborn. But I don't want to be stubborn. How about you? I, I don't. I don't. I don't. Anybody want to be stubborn? This. This. I, anybody got to just shake your neck like this and say no stiff neck. Just go like this. Just just to keep it. No stiff necks. You're not going to get victory unless you're circumcised. Consideration number two, you have to prepare your mind. You have to prepare your mind. On verse 10, it says, on the 14th day of the month, while they camped at this place called Gilgal, they went on the plains of Jericho. The Israelites celebrated the Passover. The importance of Passover is it's a remembrance time of how God brought them over and out of Egypt and delivered them from Pharaoh. It's a deliverance from safety, from, from, from this whole understanding of bondage. It's important that you remember what God did. It's important that you celebrate what God did. It's important that we have testimonies like we did last. How many enjoyed testimonies last week? Testimonies of what God did. It's important that you understand that celebration is all part of our victory. That when God does a victory in your life, celebrate it. When God brings you out of something, celebrate it. When God brings you out, tell somebody about it. Does does anybody understand that you overcome by the word and your testimony? You overcome by your word and your testimony. And it's so important that you understand that you need to be mindful of where the Lord brought you. I want you to think for a moment where God brought you from. How he brought you where he brought you from. How he took you out of situations that you couldn't get out of yourself. How he brought you from a place of darkness into the marvelous light. How he took you out of sin and brought you into righteousness. How he took you. Oh, you don't hear what I'm saying. See, you should be shouting in here because you know what? If he left you there, where would you be? If he left you in bondage, where would you be? If he left you in that place, where would you be? And so today we need to throw up our hands and say, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That you need to praise God and thank the Lord for where he's brought you from. I thank you. I thank the Lord for where he brought us as a people. Oh, you don't hear, hear what I'm talking about. That you're walking in an office building because God did something for us as a people. This is Black History Month. You ain't saying amen about black history. We all have a history, right? We all have a history. And when we look at our history, they, God, thank you. It's not all, all, all smooth. I'm not saying it's smooth, but I thank God it ain't like it was. Look at the clothes you got on. That wasn't always there. That wasn't always available. The money you're making, you need to thank God the money for the money you're making. Your ancestors didn't make that kind of money. Well, Lord, I don't like this job, and this job don't pay enough money. All right, tell your ancestors and ask them, all right, you work for food. Now, what you working for? You got a house. Oh, you don't hear what I'm saying. You got a house. You need to thank God you got a house. <laughs> y- y'all don't understand what I'm saying. Y- y'all don't understand what I'm saying. See, it's, it's important that you thank God for where he brought you from. See, if you're grateful where he brought you from, then God has no reason not to bless you with something greater. But we approach God like, God, what have you done for me lately? God. I can't think of one thing to praise you for this morning. Are you kidding me? And all that God has done for us, our hearts should be filled with praise. 
filled with gratitude, open-hearted, and say, God, where would I be without you? They ate of the Passover, and they begin to recollect where God brought them from. I want you to be mindful of this. Worship should not be so hard because of where God brought you from. Worship should be so easy because you said, you know, God, look at where you brought me from. I know for me, I would have been dead. All my friends have been gone by the age of 40. All of them. Some died at 18. They found one of my friends murdered in the Charles River. Somebody threw him in the Charles River and he drowned to death. And when I think back of where God brought me from, when I think of where God, you, you brought me through some dangerous streets. You brought me through some dangerous places. You brought me through some trials. and You brought me through some, oh, oh God, I just have to bless you. I just have to lift my hands to bless you. Oh, you don't hear what I'm saying. God, I bless your name. I, I give you praise, God. I give you glory, God. Hallelujah. In a neighborhood of gangs and drugs, God, you, you kept me. You kept me from all of that stuff. You kept me from all of that stuff. Kept me from sexual transmitted disease. Lord, you kept me from all that stuff. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, I wish somebody would praise him in this house this morning. I wish you would just praise him in the house this morning. I wish you'd just praise him for all he's done for you this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, you gave me a mind to, to praise you. You gave me a mind that's at peace, Lord. You gave me sweet peace in my home last night, Lord. Hallelujah. You kept me in my going out and my coming in. You blessed me when I didn't deserve to be blessed. You blessed me when I didn't deserve to be blessed. Woo. Woo. I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, it's time to bless him. 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 It's time that you bless the Lord. Don't complain about all your problems. Just begin to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord what? Oh, my soul. And all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Somebody said, when I think of the goodness of Jesus. I I don't need, I, I just need to just think about it. When I think about the goodness of Jesus and all that he has done for me, my very soul has to cry out. Hallelujah. 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 You've got to understand that you've got to remember the things that God has done for you. And how the things he has done for you causes you to get where you are now. But it's also going to take you where he wants you to go. But not only do you have to have a prepared mind, you have to have a prepared hand. And here's why the men are stopped. The Bible says that when they ate of the the fruit of the land of Canaan, the manna stopped. A 40-year miracle has now ended. If you think about it, 
it was a it was a very very radical thing that God did. After forty years, generation, the second generation, the first generation started witnessing and experiencing the miracle of manna coming down. The manna survived Moses. Moses died, but the manna didn't. And every day they could come out their tent and find food that was supernatural. The psalm said, the psalmist said, it was angel food. And when you read about Moses and you can read about, about his life, they said that when Moses died, his, his eyes were not dim and neither did his strength wane. Well, when did Moses die? He was 120 years old and never needed glasses. He had 20-20 vision at the age of 120. Men have fed people and they never got sick because it was supernatural. But there came a time when men stopped. What do you do when God stops feeding you the way he always did? What do you do when you stop praying the way you pray and God doesn't answer that way anymore? What do you do when the manner stops? And the question is, why, why did God stop the manner after they have experienced it for 2,080 weeks, 14,600 days, 40 years, God said, no more. That's it. It's because when they ate of the, the fruit and ate of the produce of the land of Canaan, God was trying to teach them something. God is trying to teach you something. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is trying to teach you something. When God begins to shift his provision from one way over here to somewhere else, he's not trying to frustrate you, he's trying to teach you. So what do they, what do they have to learn? Well, they have to learn that it's not all about eating. It's about equipping. It's not all about eating. It's equipping. Why do you say that? The second generation had no agricultural skills whatsoever. So could you imagine God taking to a place and say, okay, gang, farm. And you've never, ever had any agricultural experience in your life. Just like you do now. You live in a city. And I put you on a farm. Right, Brother Ron? And I said, okay, you're going to have to. See, I'm staying with him because he know what to do. I don't know what to do. I just know how to get my eggs from Stop and Shop. And if you hadn't given me a whole chicken coop with a whole bunch of chickens in there and say, all right, now you're going to have to learn how to get your eggs from these chickens in the chicken coop. The only thing I'm going to know how to do, Brother Ron, is shoot the chicken. There ain't going to be nothing left. Or they all be all there. I don't know what to feed them. I don't know how to take care of chickens. So God is putting them in a position where they have to learn how to be equipped for the new place that he's calling them to live in. Wow. Let me ask you a question. Are you equipped to live in the promise that God has for you? I'm a home buyer teacher, right? And when I teach people about buying homes, 
I notice something that doesn't sometimes connect. People sometimes think they can do the same thing in their apartment that they are going to do in their home. And so they don't think about water bills. They don't think about water bills. They, they, they think that water just comes out of the pipe. And you can just let it run. And let it run. And let it run. And there's no ramification because you've never seen a water bill. But when you buy a house, look, when I bought my house and I got a water bill, my first water bill, I said, what is this? This is what they pay for water? And so my son was taking a shower. He's just showering and singing a shower. I said, time is up. Now, you could take a, a half-hour shower when we're in the apartment because the landlord paid for that. But now that I'm paying for it, you got one body, one wash, and get out. Listen, if a car can be washed in five minutes, <laughs> you ain't as big as a car. Now get yourself up on out of there. Because we pay for this water. You don't hear what I'm saying? You can wash clothes all you want to, and you can just wash one. Oh, Dad, I got to wash, I gotta wash my, my shorts for basketball. Okay, man, wash your shorts. You can do that in the apartment, but when you in a house... Oh, no. Oh, no, we ain't washing like that no more. We're going to wash until we got a lot of laundry. We're going to make that washer wash a lot of clothes. And so you have to equip them. You have to be equipped. Church is not just to eat. Oh, my goodness. Church, church, church is not just to eat. It's to be equipped. And, 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 and I want you to understand that this church wants to equip you to live your life in God and to live your life every day in God and to experience his promises and not blow it because you're ill-equipped to handle what he's given to you. They have to learn how to be equipped. The manor also stopped, this is my last point, because it prevented them from being complacent. It prevented them from being complacent. Now, now here's why complacency comes in. Think about it. For 40 years, manor is coming down, and all they have to do is walk outside Oh, my goodness, lunch? Walk back in their house. He was the first Amazon Prime. God was the first Amazon Prime. He delivered it to your door. Oh, you don't hear what I'm saying. He delivered it to your door. See, if we read the Bible, we'd be rich, right? He was the first one to do a first-class delivery service. Every time they were hungry, he just, boom, man, it was right there, pick it up, go right in the house. You didn't have to collect a lot of it because there was more coming. It was on automated auto pay. He paid, they ate. And God said, no more of that. There's something that happens to me, and I think it happens to you too. When you're hungry, it's hard to be complacent. When you're hungry, it's hard to sit still and just allow life to just happen. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and the waiter or waitress is just taking their sweet low, low time, and you are hungry, you don't sit there and say, I hope they notice me. 
You're trying to flag them down. Excuse me, I'm ready to order. Excuse me, can you take my order now? I'm ready to eat. When is the order coming? I put it in a minute ago. (laughs) You mean you don't have it ready yet? I ordered a steak. What's going on here? Sometimes God will have to switch up on you because he sees how complacent we can get. And because you're hungry, hunger propels you for the next level. Complacency robs you of potential. Complacently steals away the opportunity that God will have for you to enjoy that's beyond you. And I'm afraid, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters in Christ, we got very complacent. We're complacent to the point where we do not want to make any effort to go beyond where we are. We want to say, God, I still want that manna. And God is saying, no more. It's called weaning. Mothers, you know weaning, right? You know weaning. Weaning is tough for children. And we not only go through weaning as infants and children and toddlers, we go through weaning as adults. But God, if you don't answer my prayer right now, I'm going to, and God said, you're going to what? What are you going to do? I'm going to run away. Yeah, okay. I remember Mark telling the story. We were sitting at the table and he was telling the story. He said, I told my parents I was sick of them and I was going to run away. And you know what my father said to me? He said, fine. (laughs) The person was shocked. And he said, because he knew that I had nowhere else to go. (laughs) For many of us, sometimes the frustration gets in there because God is weaning us. You cannot become an adult, a mature believer, unless you are weaned. Why are, we doing, why, are we, why are we doing this to our children and denying them the opportunity to be mature? We deny them that opportunity because we want to do everything for them. We want to advocate for them. We want to give them not only an allowance when they're small, we want to give them allowance when they're 50. We want to tell them what to say. We don't want them to be cold. We don't want them to be hungry. But you know what? You're not going to allow them to be mature either. So now they become adults and they marry your son or daughter. Uh Uh-oh. And then you wonder why there's so much difficulty and trouble and problems and fighting in feuding, in giving up, in divorce. Because they were never weaned. And in the church, God is weaning you. (laughs) How many of you got an email this week, or last week maybe, or the week before, I don't know, that you could get your Donation records online. Anybody? 
Raise your hand really high. You got that email? Woo! Now, the thing that happened was I stood in the way of you being weaned. Because I said to Tonya and I said to Astrid, I said to Jackie, I said, we can't do all of that because what happens if they don't know what to do? And they said, they'll have to learn to do, know what to do. What are you going to do, Bishop? You're going to pass them out at the door? <laughs> and the Lord spoke to me. He said, see, you are preventing people from growing up and being adults. You are letting them not take responsibility for their own spiritual development. There's a time when you got to open your own Bible and not depend on the bishop's word. There's a time when you have to get on your knees and pray and not simply write the prayer card in hopes that somebody on Saturday is going to pick it up and pray for you. There's a time when you're going to have to lift up your own hands in worship and not allow the worship team to carry you all the way into the presence of God. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, it's equipping time. It's equipping time. I'm going to ask you to stand because I'm finished. God is preparing you for great, great things. He is. But to prepare yourself, you have to have a prepared heart. Circumcision. A prepared mind. Being in a place where, God, I'm I'm grateful. And also being a person who is prepared with your hands to work. This morning, I want to pray. I want to pray for for those of you who say, Lord, I really want to be led by you. I don't want to make it difficult for you to lead me. I don't want to make it harder for you there needs to be to get me where I need to go. I want to be a person whose heart is ready, who's grateful. And Lord, prepare me for what you have me for and text you have me to do. If that's your prayer this morning, I want you to come and I want to pray with you. You don't have to think about it too long. Because this altar call that really is about preparation. It's about preparation. It's about preparation. Thank you, Father. Hmm. It's about preparation. It's about preparation. Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Father. Here's what I want to say to you before we pray. That I sense that God is doing some radical, radical things in allowing some radical things to happen in your life. And what I mean by radical, some things that are really somewhat life-shaking for you. Life-shaking for you. Things that you expected are not happening. Ways that God moved in the past are not working. 
But what you have to understand is that God is not trying to frustrate you. He's trying to get to the root of something deeper. Because radical, when you look at the word radical, radical means root. We like to talk about symptoms, but God wants to get to the root. He wants to get to the root of why you're hard to be led. He wants to get to the root of why you're, why you're depressed. And why it's so difficult to reflect in, on the good things of God and your tendency to go to the negative things. And he certainly wants to get to the root of your desire to certainly just eat and be fed because he wants to take you to equipping. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Father. Father, in the moments that we stand at this, this, this altar, we recognize, Lord, that you're preparing us, Lord. It's, 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 it's some tough seasons going on. I sense it, Lord. There's tough seasons going on. Some tough things are happening. But, Lord, even in the tough season, Father, we're, we're thanking you because, Lord, you haven't left us or abandoned us. Help us, Lord, to cut away some of the stiff-necked things that we do. We repent, Lord, from our lack of desiring to follow. Father, even though you have given us even authority in our lives, whether it's parental authority, governmental authority, authority on our jobs, Lord. Father, in many ways, Lord, we have, for reasons, Lord, without even a good excuse, we have rebelled against it. And that's why sometimes we're in the calamities that we're in. We refuse to be led. But Father, today we turn our necks. We don't want to be stiff-necked, God. We want to be led by you. Father, help us, Lord, to submit to your word, to submit to your guidance, your leadership. Forgive us, Lord, for always having to be right. But, Lord, help us to be led. Give us a new heart and a new spirit. Even as, God, you want to do great things in our lives, Lord, you have to lead us into the greatness of those things. So, Father, I, I pray. As the bishop and pastor of this house, Lord, I, I pray that you not leave us alone. God, don't leave me alone. Help me to be led by you. And help me to lead your people aright, Lord. Help me, help me to guide them. Help me to challenge them. Help me to rebuke them when necessary. Help me to encourage them where they are down and when they feel defeated and when they don't have the answer Lord thank you that Lord I can point them to you who's the answer who's the wonder who's the wonderful counselor help me Lord to, to Lord equip them and Lord may they want to learn may they want to grow may they want to study May they want to, oh God, Father, do more to furnish their skills and to hone in and to be the best disciple and the best leader, the best mother, the best father, the best employee that they can be. Because, Lord, it is really all about you. And so as your disciple today, Father, as these your disciples have come, we thank you, Lord, for the greatness that you have in store for us. 
Help us to refuse to believe that there's anything less than the best for us. I come against demonic spiritual warfare that comes against the minds of your people. That robs them of the blessing. That robs them of greatness. That robs them of the desire for more. That wants them to be complacent and not even try and not even go forward. I, I bind that spirit of complacency in Jesus' name. I come against it. I come against the spirit of just settling for less and not going forward. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will awaken the giant in them. Awaken the giant in them. Awaken the giant in them. God, I pray that you'll interrupt them and shake them, Lord, and say there's more in you. There's more for you. In Jesus' name. And I give you the praise and I give you the glory. I give you the praise. I give you the glory. I thank you for the man of stopping, Lord, so I can learn. I can learn, Father, how to get the produce and the harvest. I can learn sowing and reaping, God. I can learn how to work, God. I can learn how to work the thing that you gave me. I learned, Father, how to work the gift that you gave me, God. How to work the skills that you gave me, Lord. How to call upon you in the night season, God. How to pray when no one else knows how to pray. How to pray, oh God, when no one else is praying for me. Lord, thank you, oh God, for the equipping and the skills. That even when a word is not coming for, I can get my own word. I bless you today, Father. Would you lift up your hands and just praise God right now? Just begin to praise him. Right where you are, just begin to praise him. Praise him for the heart that he's giving to you. Praise him for the new heart that he's giving you. The new desire that he's giving to you. That, that's stepping out of complacency. No longer settling for where you are. The past is the past. The past is the past. Today is the new day. 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 And Father, thank you for the manner, but Lord, we want more from you. Thank you for the manner, but Lord, we want to see the provision come as we sow and as we reap. So thank you for reaping. Thank you, O oh God, for sowing through us. Thank you for bounty, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Let's worship God. Let's worship. Let's worship. Hallelujah. 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 